I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And you shall not commit adultery. And on Matthew chapter 5, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. This is the word of the Lord. We are in, um, on the, you know, in a series on the Ten Commandments called Gospel Completes Law. Uh, for those of you at home, it's just, I, I wish you could see what I see. We have, the chairs are mostly cleared out. We have like four people over here and four people over here. And then of course you at home. Um, we are on the subject of adultery. And I gave you a really huge um, sermon last week with some really big theology on the meaning of sex as, a, as the expression of covenant. And we're going to do a part two, and we're going to talk a little, a little bit more of the so-called practical issues, and I will discuss the subject of adultery a little bit more directly today, um, and then we'll move on to the subject of stealing next week. But um, just as a quick recap, I want to say this. This is the way the Bible puts it. A man shall leave his father and mother and shall unite to his wife, and they shall become one flesh that is the vision of marriage. It is also the understanding of covenant. And that's what sex is for. Sex is ultimately a physical expression of the deep inner oneness, the unity of two individuals, and they become no longer two, but they become one. That's covenant. It's fundamentally a spiritual and relational um, reality. And then it is expressed through the celebration it's a celebration and expression through sex. That's what I talked about last week. And in that discussion, that's the reason we need to talk about that is because so many people tend to think about adultery as primarily about something bodily and sexual. And one of the things I want, I want to remind you is that it's primarily relational and spiritual. And thus, adultery is a profound form of betrayal. And so today I want to get at, um, you know, continues this discussion and it's, it's a lot, so let's get into it. And, uh, but I wanted to give you, you, know, give you that little reminder because you've got to have that in your mind as before we talk about the subject matter of today, okay? So let's get into it. Part, part one, inner empty loneliness, lust, and the temptation to adultery. So let me say it again. Inner empty loneliness, this is the deeper problem, which leads to lust and the temptation to adultery. If it starts from the heart, you have to deal with your heart. And if your heart has a big problem of empty loneliness, we have to fill that, okay? So part two, the life-giving blessedness of sexual and covenantal fidelity, all right? The life-giving blessedness of sexual and covenantal fidelity. I'm going to give you a lot of pieces of uh, wisdom today. And then I'm going to close up 
by sharing you with the gospel by saying, the bridegroom who washes us and fills our hearts to love us forever, all right? That's really the hope and the power you need. A lot of times people think the gospel is some word, but that, those words have power. Those words point us to a person who is the true bridegroom who wash us and love us and fill us forever, okay? So let's get into it. Part one, um, I want to get right into Jesus's commentary, and that was, that was read by our brother from Matthew chapter five, and the way Jesus puts it, it's, it's pretty tough. Um, and so he goes right to this issue. It's a heart issue. And this is the way he, he says it. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh, as soon as I read that, I read this as a boy, and I remember, I remember thinking like, Wow. <laughs> and when I was a teenager, I, I was thinking, this is, uh, I'm, I'm committing this sin literally every day. <laughs> There's, I'm committing this sin in the morning, <laughs> in the afternoon, in the night, especially when I was a you know, pretty amped up teenager. I, I literally don't know a man who does not commit this sin, if this is the way Jesus talks about. Now, I want to talk about this issue. Last week, I, I talked really about s- spiritual adultery that the Lord wants to covenant himself to us and then become united to us. And that in a sense, all human beings, first and foremost, we have this emptiness in our heart. And the one that's supposed to be there, the one that we whether should be longing for and said we want some other bridegroom, which is why you know, Hosea chapter two says it's really tough stuff that we are adulterers, that we're like prostitutes. Um, I, wanna, I wanna take you back to um, a really important verse in the Old Testament, which is Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. So again, before Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is before the fall. And so sin doesn't enter the world until you get to chapter 3. And in chapter 2, there's Adam, but there's no Eve. And you know what God says? This is really interesting. All throughout chapter 1, God makes, you know, God makes, uh, you know, oceans and then he makes land and then he separates things and he divides things. He makes the birds, he makes the fish, he does all these things. And after each time, he says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. He makes human beings, says it's good. But when he looks at Adam and he's only by himself, you know what he says? It's really extraordinary. He says, it is not good for the man. It is not good for Adam. And Adam is a play on the word, the man. It is not good for the man to be alone. And then he thus starts to look for, you know, there is nobody there who is really the person that his heart could be united to, and then God makes woman. And thus, this is, this is really, you know, a deep, deep, profound understanding of human life. Now, I want to, um, you know, say a little something about this. Most of you don't seem to understand this, and uh, most of us in our society, we're regularly bombarded with the dream that you don't need anybody. <laughs> That's what we think. We, in our society, we live in a hyper-individualized society, and we basically believe that you don't need anybody else, that if you feel like you need somebody else, that you're weak, or that you have a crutch. All these religious people that have to go to church, well, they have a crutch because they're just too weak. Let me tell you, everybody's weak, because everybody has this weakness of loneliness. When God says it's not good for Adam to be alone, you should just put your name in there. <laughs> it is not good for, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it is not good for Susan to be alone. 
Because you know why? If you are alone, you will be lonely. They're not the, those, there's times when you're alone and all you in, introverts, I'm not one of them. <laughs> you're probably regularly you know, energizing. But you know, even an introvert can't be alone all the time. After a certain period of time, alone leads to lonely. Extroverts like me, you know, you're alone for just a short period of time and then we get lonely. <laughs> and then I got to start like walking around. And so, you know, this period of uh, the lockdown, it's, it's, been, it's, been, it's been tough on, on someone like me. And thankfully, you know, I, I have a sizable family. And so, you know, there's like numerous people in the house I can go around bothering, okay? And so that's how I, you know, get my people fixed. But, um, but this is a profound point. And this leads to the question of why Jesus says what he says. This is, I hope, for, if you've been a Christian for a while, this should be an obvious point. But if the whole world is telling you, you know, something completely the opposite of Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it is not good. It is not good for you to be alone. You know what? Your whole life, you're going to have a point of pain because God did not make you to be by yourself, <laughs> God did not make you to be dependent only on yourself. Anybody who even thinks, I'm strong, I don't need anybody else. I don't, I don't need family, I don't need friends, I don't need a spouse. Um, let me tell you, you're completely deluded if you think that. And if you, the more and more you try to live your life that way, you, the more and more you're going to break yourself. And this leads to the subject of sex and adultery. You know what God gave people? For this problem of love, he gave, he gave you the possibility of being so close to somebody that it can only be fulfilled in covenant. And then he gave us this gift, this gift that celebrates and is the expression of that covenantal union and oneness, which is sex. So what's going on here in our society, though, is that as everybody, as, as covenant and the bodily and the relational, as covenant has pretty much been lost in our society, and then now relationships are something that we use. People are, and people and their bodies, because you have to have, a, you have to fill this profound hunger of, of emptiness. But the emptiness is, you, you know, you just walk around. And so this is why, this is why there will never not be love songs till Jesus returns. This is why they will not ever stop being the, the, the bitter breakup song too. You know, you know, after, um, Adele, there'll be the next Adele, and then there'll be the, you know, the male versions of Adele. Why? Because our hearts are needs to be filled in this way by a person, not just by stuff. I told you, you can't fill your life with money last week, and you can't try to like roll your body around in the money and fill your life, and you think having all these really nice things will fill your heart, but that's not going to work. And for some of you, you may love money more than, say, you know, the opposite sex or you want to have sex. But somewhere along the line, this is why if you have like a love for money, then you, you spend all your time thinking about stuff that you want to buy or the work that you have to do. But then somewhere along the line, there has to be a person there. And there's going to be this gnawing sense of emptiness. And especially, you know, for if you are particularly vulnerable to this, this is where the temptation to lust is going to arise. It used to be before we had TV and magazines and pictures, you know, the only person you could lust after was somebody near you. And so, um, you know, there'd be somebody near you and you begin to have a fantasy about this person and then you start to project how this person, if only this person would be there for me 
and then my heart could be filled. And, you know, as a kid, as a boy, you know, you just want friends. And then somewhere around the age of 10, 11, 12, you start realizing there's this, you know, this beautiful thing called a girl. And then you, your hormones kick in through puberty. And now, all of a sudden, fantasies and lusts and all this stuff goes through. And according to Jesus, you're not even married yet, but you're already guilty of adultery. You're already guilty of adultery even before you're married because you, now you're looking at somebody and you want this person. You want this person's body. You want this person's mind and heart. And um, you just want to essentially, you stop thinking about them as a whole person. You start thinking about them through the lens of your neediness. And this neediness, which is a real thing, and it's not, it's not good according to God, it leads to sin. <laughs> That's what Jesus is talking about. And so just to start with this, I want you to respect that this is an issue inside of you. And I want you to think, and like, for there's a lot of people who think, you know, I can just discipline myself. There, those of you who are filled with a lot of discipline, you're thinking, I could just, I'm strong enough. I can. No, you can't. You cannot solve this. It's such a profound hole inside of you. You're not going to solve it through, dis through discipline. You can only solve it ultimately, you know, in, through, through having deeper friends and then probably ultimately getting married. The vast majority of people need to get married. You know that? And so today, what we have is because of our hyper-individualism, what we do is it seems very, very, like, so let me say it this way. Our society considers it a right that one gets to have sex with whomever one wants, especially if you are looking for love. And so this idea, this stricter idea that's from the Bible, the stricter sexual ethics, a lot of people think it's completely unreasonable. And, um, you know, some of, some of you, you know, some of you maybe even go up in the church and you feel that, gosh, this is, why do we have to have this? It's really hard. And, um, and it's, honestly, it's kind of stupid. Even people who grew up in the church might feel this way, but I'm telling you, the more and more you, you, you've, you've separated this out, I started talking about this um, last week, that if we separate this out, it seems utterly reasonable that nobody should be able to judge or say anything any, about um, what people want sexually, but all those desires are filled with blindness. It's a field of incredible ignorance. And we're actually breaking our souls and our hearts, trying to put something into our hearts through our lusts and through using people physically in such a way so you can either do it through your eyes or you could do it physically and to try to fill something up. And do you notice, um, you know, the fantasies don't, don't fill your heart up. <laughs> do you notice the masturbation doesn't fill your heart up? Do you notice the, even the romantic I mean, this is partly what's going on. The rom even romantic, good romantic movies can only fill your heart up to a certain extent, and then we're left with this deep, profound issue. And so the more that our society has separated this out, sex over here, and then the deep heart problem over here, we're actually breaking ourselves and destroying ourselves and each other and using each other far more. Now, I want to speak to um, this piece that Jesus says. In verse 29, he says this thing, you know, you already committed adultery with her, right? But then he says, verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For, for it is better that you lose one of your members 
and that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. That's a, those are shocking and, and, and incredible words. And um, if we took these words literally, literally, I think almost every guy would go, well, my right eye is causing me to sin. I got, I'm, you know, and then my left eye is causing me to sin. Almost every teenage guy I know, and then every teenage man goes, well, then I guess I better just rip out my eyes because I'm doing this all the time. And our society has such profound you know, um, you know, underestimation of the problems of this that we, we just use lust to sell products. You don't even have to watch a movie. You just open up an ad. <laughs> you don't have to watch anything pornographic. Um, it's almost pornographic even in, in, uh, in there's like things in PG-13 PG or even PG movies or just TV shows. It's regularly going, going on. Now, so what I want to do is that right here, I want to give you some little bit of, let's, let's follow after this command. Is Jesus being for real? Yeah, he's being for real. And he's, he's using an extreme form of language to help you to understand how serious this issue is and how you should take wise actions to protect your own heart and then so that your heart can be filled with more than your lusts. And so let me give you a few ways that you can quote unquote cut out your eye without literally cutting out your eye. You get what I'm saying, right? There are things in our life that you have to start thinking about cutting out. And by discipline, and you are gonna need some discipline on this part, um, which is to really have a certain piece of obedience. So the first, the first obvious one is, is, is pornography. Now, if you're not gonna cut out your eye, you know what you could at least do? You can at least put some, you know, you could put some software on, on your phone, on your device, on your computer. And now I want to say something else too. It's, it's probably not enough um, to have some software. And generally, if you do have some software, you know what else you need? And this is really good. Um, if you have some software, you're probably going to need a partner. You need, you're going to need a brother or a sister. I'm not going to, it could be women are addicted to porn or looking at pornography these days too because they're just, they have just as much loneliness as men and so that's the first thing. I mean, um, I have found, I didn't know this until just a couple years ago, but the iPhone, you could literally just ask a friend to have, there's a setting which will take all, you know, certain kinds of blocks, certain kinds of content. And the only way you can ask if, a, if there's a particular site or something like that that's blocked, you actually have to ask your friend and your friend has the password. And so I would recommend that you do that. Um, it's a good practice. Um, but mostly some combination, you can cut out your eye which is a wisdom. Um, let's start by talking about that. Um, let me give you some other ones. Um, a few years ago, I read an article on Tinder. And um, I, after I read that article, I, I wish I had not read that article. It was so, it was so disgusting. I, I, I felt really, I felt like I needed a shower and then I needed to praise God and, you know, and ask the Lord because I just felt so dirty after I read the article. But um, there are these essentially hookup apps um, and I'm sure there's, I don't even know if Tinder is, is the main one anymore because I, I don't use that stuff. But if you do use that, um, please put that away. Delete it. And, um, and then again, I would ask that you have a friend and somebody else who, who you say, you know, it is your right. And in fact, it is your duty every now and then to check my phone and make sure it doesn't exist on my phone. Right? And so don't use that. 
It's all about using people. That's just adultery, completely normalized. And it's going to only make you more profoundly lonely and destroy you inside your heart. Um, you may want to control how you use romance novels. Or um, ladies, uh, and, and maybe men, um, there's a lot of people today that love uh, you know, romance novels and romance stories. And all it is, is it's this. This is the way that you have an emptiness in your heart. I mean, how about Korean dramas? Korean dramas, I mean, they just do this at an even peak level. Um, if you love this, the love story portion of it, but you're always longing for someone else, and especially if you're married, and especially if you're married, to fill your heart, it is a form of emotional and adultery. Um, let me say a couple more things. Uh, how about this one? Another way that you can um, begin to obey Jesus is uh, if you are in any place in, right now where you meet people, you are strangers, and then you begin to have you know, conversations and friendships, and you have essentially a kind of internet fling. You're never going to meet this person, or you don't plan to anyway, although sometimes people do. And then it starts to, you kind of start liking this person, and it starts becoming romantic. And by the way, you got to be careful, because some of the people who do this, they're dangerous. Um, and sometimes I, I've heard that, uh, you know, the, um, predators toward children, um, this is what they do. So you've got to be very, very careful about this. But so just from a pure safety perspective, you shouldn't do this. But especially if you are married, um, this is a form of adultery. Even if you don't actually have sex with this person, you are doing exactly what Jesus is saying. You don't even know what this person looks like. But here you are, they're the inner empty loneliness, and you have to use this person to fulfill you. It's out of, out of this profound meanness to use this person and you consider it reasonable. And I'm not breaking any rules, am I? Yes, you are. Right. The last thing I want to do, and this is, I think, a, a, a wise piece of practice, especially if you're married, and um, if you are dating anybody seriously, you should begin to think about this too. I would recommend that you hedge your marriage. And what that means is, anytime you have a chance to be with somebody else who's more, you know, in a one-on-one -on -one situation, especially, let's say, of, of the opposite sex, then... Um, you should try to avoid that kind of situation. So I try to do this. It's not easy sometimes. Uh, as a pastor, sometimes I need to speak, you know, with, with you know, and do some pastoral counseling to, to um, a sister, and it's a, it needs to be a private conversation. And uh, Pastor Young has done this sometimes too, you know, we're at, we're at the office, and, uh, you know, in the past, he says, well, so-and-so is coming in, she asked, you know, for some advice. So he's saying, I want you to know that I'm going to be over there talking to that person. And so... Whenever I try to meet, you know, if I feel like I need to meet with a, a sister one-on-one -on -one or a woman one, I, I tell my wife. I actually tell her. So that it's, it's just yet one more hedge so that my wife knows that, you know, that my wife knows only she is in covenant with me. And that I am reminded, hello, don't forget this, that only grace is your wife. And I know some guys are even stricter about this. There are some brothers I met that they won't even get on, into rides one-on-one -on -one with, well, with women. And some of you are like, well, that's crazy. That's, uh, you can't judge them. You can't judge them. You don't know what their temptations or their lusts or their problems are. And some brothers I know have done this. So I, there was a brother of mine who was in seminary with me. And we, we were in this gathering and then, um, you know, we were, it, was like a, it was like a PhD seminar or something like this. And after it was over, 
there's a sister who lives near him and he had gotten been dropped off by his wife. And she said, oh, well, she knew that he happened to live in her area. So she offered to give him a ride home. And he said, oh, it's okay. I, I, I don't need that. And then she goes, okay. So then she drove off. And then right after she drove, he turned to me and said, hey, Susan, would you do me a favor and give me a ride home? And it was like on the other side of town. He said, I'm really sorry about this. And as soon as he asked me that, I said, oh, I know exactly what you're doing. No problem. This is his way to honor his wife to honor and protect his heart, his way to obey Jesus here. This was his way of, quote, unquote, cutting out his eye by making sure I don't even get close to the potential temptation to um, possibly even emotionally or then, of course, physically cheat on my wife. And some of you are going like, well, I would never do that. And I want to say this to you. If you're single today and you think you won't ever do that, let me tell you something. You are really, really arrogant because you just got to be married for a little bit. You know what's going to happen? There's going to be a portion. It's not a if, it's a when. There's a when at a portion when your marriage will grind. And when your marriage grinds and you're not seeing eye to eye and you're upset, you know what's going to happen? You will feel profoundly lonely in your own marriage. And especially if this lasts for a long time, then you're going to start to wish there was somebody else better than your wife, or better than your husband. And at this time, you need to hedge your marriage. You need to hedge your marriage. And so those are some of the pieces that I want to talk about on this front end. And, um, respect your loneliness. And then respect the lust. The way you're going to deal with lust is actually is to think about loneliness. <laughs> That's really the way you actually deal with it. All of you brothers out there who have a porn issue, or if you're a sister, you know what you should do? You should hang out more with your, with, with your friends. Or you should more actively look to date if you're not dating already and start looking for a wife and start praying really hard for a really good wife. Okay? Let's go to part two. All right. The life-giving blessedness of sexual and covenantal fidelity. Okay. I'm already a little behind time. Let me start... Um, what I want to do is first, I want to give you, first I want to talk about the corporate blessings. Then I want to say some words to the singles. And then I want to, of course, take the most time to say some words of wisdom to obey this commandment and why it's good to obey this commandment and what kinds of power that you're going to put and joy into your life if you will obey God's wisdom and then you'll respect the way he's made us for deep covenantal oneness. Okay, so number one, first corporate benefits. So, um, I had our brother read, you know, you know the, a little bit more of an extended portion. And so Jesus, you know, I mean, the Lord himself says that all those, you know, he will bless our children and the children's children and then all the generations if you will follow covenant. And if you don't, we'll be afflicted. And this is an especially profound point. That this blessing of do not commit adultery do you know that if you live in a society that takes this seriously, that society would be so much more profoundly powerful and strong? Literally everything in this society would be better. Everything. <laughs> There'll be less poor people in this society. There'll be less divorce in this society. There'll be less sexual harassment. There'll be less abuse. There'll be less violence. There'll be less depression. Um, there'll be less addiction. So here's the first thing I want to say. You want to know why our society is so completely chaotic? It's because we're profoundly lonely and we're trying to solve that through easy sex and through using people. 
And so if we would together, together live in such a way that we take this, this, this reality of, of covenant much more seriously, then all boats will start to arise. And so this is, this is um, if you don't believe in Jesus today, this might be rather shocking to you, but wherever churches go into society and they start doing this, you know what starts happening? Poverty actually starts getting pushed back. <laughs> Kids that grew up in broken homes start to feel joy, and then they start to look for ways that they can become a husband or a father or a wife and a mother in a way that they did not experience when they were younger. And all, so much of it is connected to this right here. And so a number of you know that I've been, you know, that our church has been on a, a Native American reservation. Let me tell you something. On a Native American reservation, if you ask, if you ask me if there's one thing I could solve on the Native American reservation, if like I was king and I could just make everybody obey this, I would just make, say, stop committing adultery. That's what I would say. You know what happened? What happened? Literally Native American reservations, uh, they would, drug addiction and alcohol abuse and all kinds of things would get pushed back and they'd literally start getting richer. So this is one of the first things I want to say. Um, a second thing I want to talk about is a lot of you don't realize how much energy is expended on lust. So sexual lust, just, it, just, it just sucks up so much energy and preoccupation. And in fact, there's a whole modern understanding of this. You know, Sigmund Freud thought that you know, this is such a profound energy that the way he thought it was everybody is lusting after somebody. And then when you're not lusting after them, that same energy is being used for other things like making money or, you know, like building products and so forth. That's not true. But um, he's not far off from an important truth, which is that if your life is constantly preoccupied um, with longing for somebody else, then you're never going to be able to do other things. <laughs> Some of you want to write, you know, um, you want to get really good at something that you really love. Maybe you, you want to get really good at writing a novel, or you want to get really good at playing guitar, or you get really good at science. But you know what? Let me tell you something. If you are you know, filled with lust, and if you have a porn addiction, you're not going to get good grades in school. You're not ever going to get good at your instrument. Just all kinds of other things that there's, there's, it gets so crowded out because this, this thing becomes so big all the other important things in life starts getting crowded out. And it begins to corrupt so many other things. And so these are just two of the most important corporate benefits that will happen if we would begin to obey this commandment. And of course, we'll never be able to completely, there will always be people who are much more afflicted with this deeper loneliness and you know, they, will, they will fall into a slavery on these kinds of things. But... Um, you know, there need, if there's going to be even some pushback. And of course, we live in a time and we live in a city that's, you know, profoundly uh, post-Christian and, and very, very sexually chaotic around here. And so um, this is why we have to have an, you know, why we have to have an alternative counterculture. So the church cannot simply be by, it'll just be me and Jesus. I'm just going to follow Jesus and everything's going to be great. No, we actually need each other. We need each other. We need a new vision of, of how we approach sexuality and its dangers and how we all chase after the deeper covenantal union with God and then have deeper relationships with each other and more joyful marriages. And then there's just so much, we just more richly have so much more to do, but sex is also beautiful and great inside of Christians. And so um, the church, I want, to, I want to say this to you, church, please don't ever be embarrassed 
about the Bible sexual ethic. No, our society, our neighbors desperately need this. And they may find what we do very, very offensive, but over time, when their lives are breaking down, if they ever come into our midst, and if they see how our families can be, how we have other energy for other things, and we also have good sex lives in our marriages, they might start rethinking this. And so, and they're not going to discover this unless the church, unless the church, we, we take confidence in what, the, what Jesus has taught us and we wholeheartedly follow and run after him instead of always trying to say like, well, it's kind of hard to do what Jesus is doing and let's cheat. Let's not cheat, all right? Second point, I want to say something to singles, all right? So um, I want to say a couple, let's just make two points. Number one, if you're single and you wish you weren't single, you're not weak. You're perfectly fine. That's the first thing I just want to say to you, okay? If you are single and you're lonely and you long for somebody to be there for you, you're fine. That's the first thing I want to say to you. Don't be embarrassed about that. And I hope that you would begin, especially brothers and sisters in the church, would you begin to speak to each other that everybody has this weakness. Don't be embarrassed. Be good friends and family and help each other and give each other wisdom and help each other and make good, wise decisions and then find somebody to marry. And I want to say a second point about this to singles, all right? I actually, we, in our society, we believe that um, you have to like line up all your ducks. It's pretty tough, I think, to follow and um, obey Jesus because in, in previous societies, you know what people will do? Well, they get married when they're 17. Well, it's a lot easier to obey. Do not do what Jesus said to do when you finally can get the consolation and the way Jesus gives us an answer through marriage and through our marriage bed when you get to get married when you're 17. But today, everybody assumes you can't get married until you're 27 or 32 because you have to go through college, and then you have to make a lot of money, and then you have to line up all your ducks. And so I don't know if some of your parents or whatever will like this. Um, if, if I say this, I think that's foolish. Hmm. I think that's foolish. Now, you have to get to a certain level of maturity before you're ready to get married. And so I'm not telling you to get married when you're 16 because you're, that's, that's a bad idea, right? But um, I think you get to college, you should be looking for a keeper. You shouldn't just be looking for a boyfriend. You should start, maybe around, take about a year to, I tell, guys are not as, as mature. So for the guy, you know, you should probably wait till you're, maybe your senior year, um, maybe your junior year. But, uh, Girls, if you go off to college, your sophomore year, you should be looking for a husband. <laughs> That's what I'd say. And when you get to 22, 23, definitely. And don't be embarrassed about it. Um, all right. Uh, I think I'll stop there on, on singles. All right. Now let's get to married folks. All right. A number of things I want to say to married folks. All right. First is... Um, I want to, this, this is the big piece of advice I want to give to you married folks, which is please invest into having a good sex life. Now, if you've been in this church for a while, um, you know I'm not embarrassed of talking about this. You know why? Because the Bible's not embarrassed about it. All these pastors that are squeamish about it and are embarrassed about it, I would say they're getting their cues from the culture, not from God. And so it's not the most fun topic for me to talk about either, but um, this is where we have a huge need. And so I want to say a few things to this. Um, 
There's some really good, great blessings if you will give priority to having a good sex life in your marriage. And so um, the first thing is, if you uh, do, there's a lot of good things. In order to have a good sex life in your marriage, guess what? A good sex life starts, I mean, I, I forget who said this. A good sex life starts in the kitchen. So husbands, you might want to help your wife because she will consider it very sexy if you do the dishes, okay? Um, because then she'll feel like, well, why do I want to just give my body to my husband? All he, that's all he ever thinks about. Does he actually care about me more and understand how maybe I feel you know, other things, and I want him to meet me in other ways. These are really good ways, but if you will put your sex life, then a lot of other things you have to start, a lot of other wise things go to, um, will come forward. Now, let me say some, I want to talk about three classic mistakes in marriage, and I've seen this again and again and again and again, and I don't want to be mean right now, but I, I would bet a lot of money that a lot of the couples in our church, and I won't say who, um, you're making these mistakes. So let me point some of them out. So number one, you're putting your children before your marriage. Do not put your children before your marriage. That is a big, big, big mistake. So a lot of couples today, they're their children, they're their first baby, and then that baby you know, goes from the crib into your bed, <laughs> And that kid is still there at the age of three, four, five. That is a huge mistake. That kid should not be in your bed because that kid is in the way of your covenantal union. That kid is not, you are not in union with your child. You're only in union with your husband, with your wife. And your bed represents that union. Get your kid out of bed. And please, you know, you have to start thinking, everything can't revolve around your children. You know what your children need? Your children need your marriage to be strong. So a lot of people today, they have the children, and immediately everything starts revolving around their children. And I get it, it's hard. And life, it's so disruptive when you have your first baby. But over time, you have to start to get back to being, you know, a couple. Every single night, I don't care if it's for 30 minutes or one hour, you have to spend just time with your spouse. And it's just for, and don't just give the worst energy. As best as you can, you have to, don't just give scraps of your heart and your energy. You need to be with your spouse. And I would say yes, yes, start thinking about, you should get back to having a sex life. Secondly, so let's say your kids are growing older and so forth, all right? This is common in marriages too. You're stressed out, something is making you miserable, <laughs> or it's preoccupying your, your mind. Maybe it's from work. Maybe it's a relationship that you have. Maybe it's not even a work relationship. And you know what you don't do? You don't share about this. You don't share about this important thing with your spouse. And so you know what that starts to do? It starts to create loneliness. You have this compartment that's really important in your life. And this compartment of your heart is not coming into one flesh union with the compartment of the heart of your spouse he or she wants to offer and be in that space with you. And if you will talk about the things that are hurting you, that are stressing you, that are paining you, that you're fearful of, you will feel ever so close to your spouse. And you know what? That'll help us, that will help you to want to kiss and cuddle and hold hands and of course, yes, have a great sex life, right? Um, let me just say it this way. Don't put 
you know, you put all these other things ahead of your marriage. So I've watched this happen over time. So first it's just the kids and then your stress. And then over time, your marriage becomes about lots of things, but it's not about your romance and your love. So here's what I want, I want, I want, I want to make sure I say this right, okay? Um, your spouse is not merely a partner for your life as a small nonprofit, okay? Your marriage is not a small nonprofit, and you know, your, your spouse is like the other worker in a nonprofit. Your spouse is not merely a co-money maker or shares the chores or a co-parent or even just a friend. Your spouse is your lover. Your spouse is your lover. Please do not let that love die in every way. Say things to your spouse. So all of you guys out there that is terrible at the love language of, you know, like using your words of affirmation, you need to say love words to your wife. Um, wives, if you're totally one of those people, all you ever do is, you know, you are just, you know, uh, all you ever do is you're, you just do acts of service for your family and for your husband, but you never say romantic words of admiration and appreciation and make your, help your husband to see that he is your hero, your love is dying inside your marriage. Please don't do this. And then your love bed will die and people wonder why five, 10, 15 years later, they have a bad sex life or no sex life. And that is not God's will, all right? Now I wanna say three points about why it's good um, for you. Well, I already said one of them. The first point was, if you put priority into having a good sex life, you're gonna have to do all the other things that will make your marriage better. <laughs> and so it's really interesting if people think they can just ignore this part and then I'll just work on the other parts of our marriage. But if you actually make this part of your marriage and try to get into a place where you can feel safe with your spouse to talk about your sex life, you may be surprised. You say, I don't really feel close to you because when you said that thing last week, is, I felt hurt. And then, then, of course, we weren't gonna be cuddling that night. And it may open up a lot of things. Right? A second point, um, and this is really important here. If you have a good sex life, it will it will put the best hedge of your marriage you will possibly have. Because what it will do, it will ward off lust and temptation for adultery. So sometimes I hear, so-and-so cheated on his wife, or so-and-so cheated on her husband. Everybody immediately just goes, that person is horrible. That person's awful. You know what, I, that's not what I think. I've been, a, I've been a pastor for quite some time. I start thinking like, well, yes, what they did was horrible, and it's a terrible sin, but... How do you not know that the other person was an awful wife or an awful husband and made that person so desperately lonely that they became so incredibly vulnerable to this temptation of adultery? So this is common. So what starts to happen is your marriage goes into a bad place, like I said. You stop talking to each other. You start having the oil of joy of romance and of a good and lots of affection. And then, well, then all of a sudden, you know, the guys at work, there's this new woman who shows up at work. She's kind of cute. And she really appreciates how good he is at his job. And for once, he feels admired and appreciated by a woman. And that guy is in serious, serious trouble. They're going to go on a company trip. She's going to be on that trip. Of course, he's not hedging his marriage. He has to work with her all the time. And he doesn't put lines there between him and this woman. And now 
She is a threat to the marriage, and the marriage is in big, big trouble. And it goes both ways. Husband and wife is not like this is a man thing. Women too. And so, that's the second thing. Protect your marriage. Protect your children by having a good sex, having a good sex life and warding off temptation. And the third thing I'll say is a good sex life keeps your marriage alive and joyful. So, um, a number of you have gotten this gift from me. Uh, I like to give this book called Sheet Music, okay, by Kevin Lehman. He's a Christian psychologist. And it's a book, it's about, that's, that's basically the thesis of this book. Um, have a good sex life. And you know what he says? You want to bless your kids? Tell them to get out. You know, go on dates and have a good sex life. And because um, you're, the kids will see you be happy with your, with your wife, with your husband. They'll see that your mom and dad really love each other and that will fill their hearts up with joy and deep security. And then you know what? When they grow up and then they be, get married, they will also want to have the kind of marriage that has been modeled this joy, this oil of joy and security where there's romance and friendship and patience and forgiveness. And they're like, well, I don't want to know what happens over there, but I bet your mom and dad are still doing that stuff. And you know what? I'm going to do that too when I'm married. And you know what? You're going to bless your grandchildren. You'll put profound power into your grandchildren. So I want to give you this little illustration, and then let's go to the, the, the close of my, of my message. There's a movie that I like to watch at Christmas, and it's called The Family Man. And, you know, my family, we watched it recently. And it starts Nicolas Cage, and what it's about is that he's graduating college, and he's going to go off, and um, he's got this internship at this hotshot investment bank in London, and he's about to say goodbye to his girlfriend, who's, who they're very serious with. You can tell that he, you know, they're, they're really close, and they want to get, they're probably going to get married. And it's like this, it's, this, it's this dividing point in his life. And she immediately has this reaction. She goes, don't go. If you go, I just have this really bad feeling. If you go to London, we won't end up together. And he goes, oh, don't worry. It's just three months. I'll be back. That's exactly what happens. He goes off to London, and then he ends up in New York City. And then, of course, you know, he did, doesn't ever see his girlfriend again. And then he lives this life where he is super rich. He does these incredible deals where that makes massive millions and millions of dollars. And he is, he has everything. He has the, he has a, he's got the supercar. He's got all these people that eat out of his hand. He has exactly what our culture thinks is the great life. He's by himself, but he's alone. And then an angel, and I think it's an angel. They don't tell you it's actually an angel. He meets, he bumps into this guy. This mysterious person who says, I'm going to, his name is Jack. Jack, I'm going to give you a glimpse. And when he, then he wakes up the next morning and his life is completely different. He's in like a, a different timeline. And it, what his life would have turned out if he had not gone to London and if he had stayed with his girlfriend. And what ends up happening is he marries her. And he's not living in the jet set super penthouse in New York City. He's living in like, you know, a very very middle class, kind of like boring suburbs in New Jersey. And she makes very little money because, you know, she's a, she's a lawyer, but, you know, she, she does this pro bono work. And he never ended up becoming a hotshot in Wall Street. What he ends up doing is um, his father-in-law got sick and he ends up running his father-in-law's business managing a tire shop company. And that's what he does every day. He wakes up every day to sell tires. 
And at the beginning, he's very awkward because he's like saying, this was my old girlfriend, but I didn't actually marry her. She, in, you know, in this timeline, is like, you're my husband. And so she treats, you know, she talks to him like a husband, but like he's very skittish about, you know, getting physically close to her because she's not actually his wife. But over time, he begins to fall in love with her again. And they're married. And then they have this night. And then they have this incredible night in bed. And then, you know, and then he wakes up. You know, of course, they don't show anything like that. And then he wakes up. He's going off to work the next day. And he steps out of the house to go onto his porch. And his wife comes out. She, she goes, Jack, come here. She grabs him. And she gives him this really passionate kiss. And she says, Jack. And she like wraps her, she like wraps her leg around him as she kisses him. And then she goes, Jack, have a great day. And then Jack steps off the porch and he's like, I'm the man. <laughs> and his heart is filled with incredible joy, even though he's going off to a job that he does not like. This is what can be in your marriage. Okay, let's close. I want to close by giving you the, the gospel by pointing you. So I gave you a lot of wisdom points of how we can obey, obey this, obey this uh, hard, this hard commandment. But the most powerful thing is you need the Lord. You need your heart to be filled up with him. Church, you and I, guys too, we're all the bride. There's a huge emptiness and only who is somebody infinitely great can come in and fill us. And I want to close by this way. Um, I've been listening to this song. <laughs> My kids are probably annoyed because I listen to this song many times today in preparation for this message. Um, I'm, a, I'm a fan of, uh, of, I don't know how you pronounce your name, Kyna Grannis. Any of you guys know who Kyna Grannis is? Oh, okay, we got one person here. Two, all right. Okay, see how, how hip your pastor is? He, he knows who Kyna Grannis is, all right? So I stumbled on a kind of Grannis, and I listened, and I've heard, I have her on my um, Spotify playlist. And there's a song that she sings. It's actually with her husband, and um, her husband's uh, name is Je Jesse Epstein. And um, if you go to the YouTube video, that that other guy, that's her husband. And it's a song. Um, it's basically a love song, and it's it'd be very very appropriate for a marriage although probably not a Christian marriage because there's no God in it, okay? But um, I want you to hear this. Here's what it says. This is verse two. Through your shining eyes, sweet like Jeffrey Pines, I pretended I could read your thoughts. Now it's just the truth. Seems our hearts have fused, soldered like the gold your sister brought. You guys hear that? Seems our hearts have fused, soldered like the gold your sister brought. You know what that is? She probably doesn't know God or the Bible or Jesus. You know what she's telling you? She's giving you a picture of covenantal union. Our hearts are fused, soldered together like gold. And how am I lucky enough to say, and this is the chorus, baby, isn't it crazy that we are born only to die? But lately, I've been counting my stars because I will spend my whole life loving you. Loving you. I don't care who you are. 
You know, you have all these songs. And I just picked one that I particularly love and I thought said it so very, very well. You know what all these songs are? There's all these people who don't believe in Jesus. They don't know all these songs are crying out for a better lover, a greater bridegroom. They're crying out because we really need to be a bride. Salvation is a bride waiting for someone to say this to you. I will spend my whole life loving you. Except the whole life is forever. So I want to close by giving you two Bible passages. And here's the first one. It's from last week. I hope this is familiar to you. This is the latter portion of Hosea chapter 2. After God tells Israel how completely horrible she is, this is the promise he gives. And so here it goes. Hosea chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, this is God talking. Behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things on the grounds. And I will abolish the bow, that is, this bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. You shall know Yahweh. You shall know. To know means to be in union with. Literally in the Bible, that's synonymous to have sex with. You know what God is saying? I'm your great lover. You know, you think all these words that are in the, in the, on the radio today, they're the most romantic words. These are the most romantic words. And I want to close with one more Bible passage. So this was the promise of the prophet Hosea that God gave. The hundreds of years. And then I want to give you the verse that will offer you the fulfillment of the promise. And the fulfillment of the promise we call the good news, which is the gospel. Here it is. Verse, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. And this is the classic text in the Bible on marriage. And if, I want you to see, it's not primarily about us. It's about someone else. And here it goes. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, without anything dirty or defiled, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, 
because we are members of his body. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There it is, covenant, union. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Brothers and sisters, you and I are his bride. Fill your heart up with all of him, all that he has given us, and let your hearts long for him. And if you don't know how to long for him, I ask you, read the Gospels and just get to know Jesus all over again and long for all his glories so that you can adore the bridegroom and let him fill you, that he will be the one to take all the emptiness and loneliness of your heart and give you real power and joy in your life. And adultery will only be a temptation. It will be the stupid thing that won't bother me. Remember, he has washed you. If you have been an adulterer, physically, literally, and of course, if you have committed all these other sins, which many of you have, know that you are forgiven. You are washed so that he can come into you and be with you and have you and love you for himself forever and ever. Let's pray. An adulterous people are we, a foolish and wicked people are we, with very, very unclean and defiled hearts. Our hearts so broken that we have helped to destroy our hearts that we don't, I don't even know if we know how to be, desire the right things. But would you heal us so that hearts can begin to desire the greatest, the greatest promise, the promise from you, the great bridegroom, Lord Jesus, of yourself. Help us to long for you. And then help us to take wise steps with our spouses. And if we are single, maybe one day, one day, somebody who would be that we can love the way you love us. And if there's anybody who's single that doesn't quite need a spouse, boy, are they blessed. Well, they, be, well, they can just say, you know what? I don't need a spouse. I'm just going to just go to Jesus and let him be my all in all. Help us first and foremost to let you be our all in all and to bless our singleness, to bless our marriages, our children, and our neighbors. In Jesus' name. Amen.